0: Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On the Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. In our last program, we looked at the very first miracle of Jesus. Remember what it was? That's right, turning the water into wine at the wedding at Canaan. Well, he followed up this with an amazing act, and that's spring cleaning the house of God, namely the Temple of Herod in Jerusalem. He didn't make a lot of friends that particular day, although I think he also earned the respect and awe of others. It just depends on your spiritual point of view. So this is of course, the beginning of a high-profile ministry which lasted anywhere from 18 months to three years. Jesus packed a lot into a short amount of time. But with all this, there came challenges galore, and Jesus met and exceeded and excelled in all those challenges. So let me read to you a little bit from our portion. The lesson is called Spring House Cleaning, and the Reference is John chapter 2 verses 11 to 17. That's John 2:11 to 17. It says in verse 14, And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep And the oxen, and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. Boy, it was as if the Lord was a big wrecking ball to the business as usual practice of those that were making tons of money in the temple. And I need to add that if you have read the Bible, you will see, especially in the Old Testament, there were periodic raiding of the temple, in this case, Solomon's temple in the Old Testament. It says that this Egyptian ruler or this Babylonian ruler or even this king of the northern kingdom of Israel would come into the house of God and take all the treasures out of the house of God. And basically, it was their spoil or their booty. Ancient temples sometimes served as banks. People deposited their money there, or more importantly, they were... Like art museums, they were had expensive, priceless, costly ornamentation, and therefore, because these temples represented God or the ancient gods of the Middle East people, there is always money involved. When it comes to the kingdom of God, we need to be very clear on something ministry is costly, somebody has to pay for the printing of Bibles, for the building of buildings for the maintenance of those in ministry, for all the equipment, and if you have a benevolence program, the soup that is prepared for the needy. It doesn't come for free. And money is a big thing. I heard, and this is a few years ago, that the cost of the Christian church in the United States was upward to $50 billion. I'm sure it's probably higher than that now. That's basically a billion dollars for every American state. And ministry in Australia, per capita, is no less costly. So it's not a case that people are so greedy for money and that somehow they are serving God with that intent in mind. It's just the nature of ministry. Yes, there is a lot of things we do in ministry that are without charge and beyond price, like preaching the word or visiting and praying for the sick or caring for the flock that has been put under our care. I mean, what price tag can you put on that? And bearing in mind that ministers don't normally work 40-hour weeks, they're on call so much of the time. Money is an issue, and Jesus speaks about money. But we're going to learn that the most important things money cannot buy. Let me read to you now from the entire segment of John chapter 2, Verses 11 to 17. Our lesson is called Spring House Cleaning and it comes from John chapter 2 verses 11 to 17. So let's listen carefully to God's word. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. After this he went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overthrew the tables." and said unto them that sold doves take these things hence make not my father's house an house of merchandise and his disciples remembered that it was written the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up our reading is from john chapter 2 verses 11 to 17 and our lesson is called spring house cleaning well before we get into the cleansing of the temple which in this case Is the cleansing that happened at the beginning of Christ's ministry because remember the last few days of Jesus' life before his crucifixion, he entered into Jerusalem and he also cleansed the temple at that point. First of all, John chapter 2 verse 11. It says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. John describes the miracle of changing the water into wine as, quote, the beginning of miracles. And that it was through this first miracle and all the subsequent miracles that Christ manifested his glory. Let's bear a few points in mind that that is the purpose of miracles, not just to benefit individuals or small groups. It's meant to be a sign of, to the world, and inspiration to the church, and ultimately, and most importantly, it is meant to bring glory unto God. What we're learning in John's gospel is that only seven miracles are recorded, seven miracles. Jesus did far more than that, but they're recorded with a purpose in mind. They are messianic miracles, and that all these miracles are not just to bless people. They're to point to the true Identity of Jesus. He is the Messiah, the Christ, or the Anointed One, the Son of David, who will sit on David's throne. He also is the Son of God. He is divine. He had a pre-existence. In the beginning, he was there, and he will be there to the very end, and he will be there when there will never be an end, but forever and ever and ever. He will be king. These are all the purposes we need to learn here about the fact that Jesus did miracles with a multitude of benefits. Now I want to discuss something that is related to the last lesson, the turning of water into wine. There has been heated debate about whether the wine was fermented or not. Now, that might seem like a bit of trivia pursuit, but it really isn't. It is something that there is sharp disagreement on, especially among evangelicals and Pentecostal believers. It's not an issue for Catholics. It's not an issue for mainline Protestants, as far as I know, but it is an issue among evangelicals. Because the, the point is this. If Jesus turned the water into fermented wine, then that means somehow he thinks drinking is okay. And there's the other issue. Even if he did turn the water into wine, is it okay to drink today? Especially where there's many people who have serious alcohol addictions. Could they stumble at the sight of what they think is a good Christian imbibing alcohol, and could it offend them to the point of falling away? I think it's fair enough to bring this issue up, and after all, that's part of what I need to do, give some practical application. Let me put to you what I know, and I will try to be as balanced as I can. That's always my objective, to the best of my God-given ability. Some people think that it was real wine fermented. Some people think the wine at... The wedding of Canaan was merely grape juice. Would the Son of God endorse fermented wine, considering how serious a social problem alcohol abuse can be today? Now, there is a case for abstinence from any kind of alcohol, and it is strong and noteworthy. However, I think there's also a case to say the wine was fermented. One scholar argues that there was so much wine that everyone Had they not only had the old wine, but now they had the new wine that Christ had made, if it had been fermented, and we're talking about hundreds of liters of wine, they would have all been in some kind of drunken stupor. If they were in a drunken stupor, how would such a scene manifest Christ's glory? Well, that's a very valid point. But there's something else to consider here, too. There could have been literally hundreds of people, at the wedding of Canaan, not just from Cana itself, but from the nearby areas as well. So gallons of wine over several days may not be very excessive at all. That's another take. Now, let me put it to you in this regard with alcohol. Ultimately, what I'm going to tell you is follow diligently the advice of your local church. I think that is the wisest thing you can do. But I will say this. First of all, wine is mentioned in Scripture. That is for sure. In both Testaments, Paul even told Timothy to use a little wine for his uh, often infirmities and for his stomach troubles. That's the first thing. Second, the Bible, I believe, is very, very clear that drunkenness is a sin, and it must be avoided like the plague. And if someone doesn't have self-control, over getting drunk, then best to not touch alcohol at all. And then the third thing is if your church says it's okay to drink or even just drink a little wine uh, for relaxation or for cardiovascular health, well, that's between you and your church. But please understand something. If you choose to do it in public and there's people who know you and see you do it, Just ask yourself the question, will my liberty and partaking of this drink, will it cause someone to be offended? Will it cause someone to stumble? Will it cause someone to fall away? And in that, the New Testament is very, very clear. To cause someone to stumble is wrong, it's sinful, and it must not be. So I think there is a way forward. We need to be as accurate to what the Scripture is saying as possible. And ultimately, as I said, you're best to get your advice from your local church. If they discourage alcohol, then don't take it. If they say it's okay, but in moderation and privately and don't offend anyone, well, that's, again, okay. Whatever you do, do it in faith, because whatever is not a faith is sin. That's the best I can do now in the short amount of time we have to address this very important and practical issue. A few days in Capernaum, John 2.12. The holy family, or I'll call them the holy party, Jesus and his disciples, they traveled from Cana of Galilee to Capernaum. This is a distance of around 60 kilometers. Jesus, his mother, the disciples, and his brethren all come to Capernaum, where he made it his headquarters after he was rejected in Nazareth. We don't read of this rejection from Nazareth up to this point. It is mentioned in other Gospels, where the people of Nazareth basically kicked him out before they nearly killed him. These are people he grew up with. I mean, it would have been a very traumatic thing. But whatever he does, he does not stay in Capernaum for very long, though he will be based there during most of his ministry. However, here comes an important event, the Passover John chapter 2, verse 13. The reason for the short stay in Capernaum is that the Jews' Passover was near, and Jesus made the four-day journey to Jerusalem. I might just quickly add that you're going to hear the term, the Jews, or the Feast of the Jews. And it almost might seem like a bit pointed. It could be a better way to see this phrase, the Jews, as the Judeans, because there were Jews in Galilee, Jews in Judea, Jews in Jerusalem, and indeed there were Jews throughout the diaspora. It appears that there is a case to call these people Judeans, even though Passover was for all Jewish people. Just something to keep in mind as we proceed with the Gospel of John. So Jesus and the party are going to now visit Jerusalem because, well, it's a pilgrimage feast. Every male Israelite is commanded to appear before the Lord at the Feast of Passover from Nazareth or Cana, or actually in this case, Capernaum on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem is probably a four day journey by foot. And then in verse 14, he enters the temple and he found a robust commercial enterprise was happening. The selling of oxen, sheep, doves, and also money was being changed. The cash register never stopped ka that's when, in verse 15, he does spring housecleaning. He made a scourge of small cords, and this would take a few minutes, meaning he was not having a temper tantrum or being impulsive. What Jesus was about to do was very much premeditated. With the scourge, he drove out the sheep and oxen from the temple and poured out the money on the floor and overthrew the tables of the money changers. What a mess! after all cleansing was part of passover preparation was it not get rid of all the leaven found in the house so that you will be symbolically clean of the pride and of the sin that is represented by yeast or leavening agents but instead of cleansing the leaven out of the house jesus was expelling greed from the temple and he makes this interesting statement in john two sixteen. he goes from action Words. Get rid of these things. You have turned my Father's house into a marketplace. This is very inappropriate. Money is part of church life, even on Sundays, but it must not dominate or be the main event. After all, we do take offerings, do we not? And then in verse 17, Psalm 69, verse 9, is quoted. And in fact, Jesus' actions remind his disciples the words of Psalm 69 the zeal for God's house. Has consumed him. And so this is the cleansing of the temple, the spring house cleaning. And that's the title of our lesson. And our lesson for life is Jesus taught about money, and it has its place. But the priceless eternal issues must take precedence over the monetary and the material.